Thanks for listening to Boston University School of Medicine's Safer and Competent Opioid Prescribing Education Scope of Pain podcast series. I'm Jessica Alpert. This series consists of six episodes. If at any point you want more information on receiving credit for this course, please visit our website, scopeofpain.org. There are also resources that accompany this series. All of it can be found at scopeofpain.org. Dr. Daniel Alford is Scope of Pain's course director and a general internist who specializes in primary care and addiction medicine. He's a professor of medicine and director of the Clinical Addiction Research and Education Unit at Boston University and Boston Medical Center. Dr. Alford, thanks for being here. Thank you. So what are we learning in this program? Yeah, so in this podcast series, um, we're going to cover strategies for safer use of opioids for both managing acute and chronic pain. We're going to review best practices and the CDC guideline recommendations. At the same time, we're going to invite other clinicians to share their clinical pearls. What we're not going to cover is palliative care or end-of-life pain management because of the differences in overall treatment goals. Thanks so much, Dr. Alford. Uh, Stand by for a bit. We're going to welcome another voice into the conversation, Dr. Mark LaRochelle. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Mark LaRochelle is a general internist and health services researcher who specializes in primary care and addiction medicine at Boston Medical Center. Dr. LaRochelle is also an assistant professor at Boston University School of Medicine. Let's start by looking at opioid prescribing trends over the past few decades. What can you tell us? Well, If we go back to the 1990s, we saw at that time a dramatic increase in opioid prescribing over several decades. There's a lot of reasons attributable to this, but one is increased recognition of in attempts to treat chronic pain. And these trends really continued until about 2010 or 2011, where we've seen a leveling off. And since that point, we've actually started to see a gradual decrease, both in terms of the total number of prescriptions being dispensed but also in terms of the morphine milligram equivalent. So the strength and the number of opioid prescriptions have been decreasing in the past few years. Let's talk about trends surrounding opioid overdose deaths. Well, since the 1990s, we've really seen three distinct waves or phases in overdose death trends. The first, through 2010, we saw increases primarily driven through uh, increases in prescription opioid-related deaths. And this really corresponds to increasing trends in opioid prescribing that we just discussed. Around 2010, which corresponds to when prescribing plateaued, the second wave came in, which was a shift toward increased deaths due to heroin. Some feel that this was because heroin was flooding the illicit opioid market and was more available and less expensive. And then in 2013, unfortunately, we saw the introduction of synthetic opioids such as fentanyl into the illicit opioid supply. And because of its potency, we've seen a marked increase in overdose deaths since that time. Okay, so just to recap, uh, the first wave can be attributed to an increase in prescription opioids. The second wave has to do with an increase in heroin use. And then finally, the third wave is connected to readily available illicit opioids like fentanyl. Yeah, that's right. So given these trends, what's the current thinking around opioids and chronic pain? Well, if we look at the evidence first, we know that from multiple systematic reviews, the issue has been inadequately studied. 
the long-term efficacy of opioid therapy for chronic pain is not supported, really because the studies haven't been long enough in duration and they've only gone up to six months. Given that we have uncertain benefit and the harms we know that exist from using opioids, we know that their use should be more judicious. We've already been discussing the fact that opioid misuse can be fatal from overdose, but there are also other harms, including the development of an opioid use disorder or addiction. Dr. LaRochelle, what can you tell us about the CDC guidelines? So the CDC guideline for opioid prescribing for chronic pain clearly states, do not use opioids as first-line therapy. And if they are used, it should be combined with other therapies. And this really reflects the evidence that we just talked about. We know that opioids for chronic pain are only indicated if alternative safer options have not been shown effective, and they should be only one tool amongst others for managing severe chronic pain. Okay, so that sounds complex. Aren't there pain specialists you can refer your patients to? Yes, there are pain specialists, but unfortunately, there aren't enough of them. And increasingly, they're only doing procedural-based care, including injections or nerve blocks. But I do find them helpful, especially when I'm uncertain about the diagnosis, uncertain about what the treatments are, or if I simply want another opinion. Dr. Mark LaRochelle, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So to discuss those issues, let's turn back to Dr. Alford. Let's say we have a woman in her 30s who fractures her hip in a motor vehicle crash. She has it surgically repaired, and after her surgery, her pain was managed with nerve blocks and opioids. So when you are assessing acute pain and you have a case like this, what are you looking for? Most clinicians are comfortable assessing acute pain, and you know, usually we're asking patients, how bad does it hurt? Where does it hurt? When did it start? What makes it more painful? Does it radiate anywhere? And what makes it worse? And, and what makes it better? And what about using a numerical scale? Can that be helpful? Yeah, they've become very common in hospitals these days. And so really, we're talking about asking patients on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is no pain and 10 is as bad as you can imagine. Where's your pain? And, and in general, for acute pain, one to three would be considered mild pain. Between four and six would be moderate pain. And severe pain is usually seven or higher on the 10-point scale. Some individuals respond better to a visual analog scale that has faces that shows someone who's not in pain at all and then someone who's in a lot of pain and then stuff in between. So why do some people develop chronic pain after an injury or after surgery? We don't completely understand why that happens, but we know that it does. We are understanding, based on research, that there are changes in the neurotransmitters, the receptors, the ion channels after surgery in some individuals, and that these changes can lead some people to chronic pain. And what we are learning are some specific patient-related risk factors. And there's some genetic risk factors, certainly being younger, being female, having a history of mental illness prior to surgery, including anxiety and depression. So those are patient risk factors. What about surgical risk factors? There are certain surgical procedures that are higher risk, including amputation or mastectomy. Surgery that causes injury to nerves are higher risk for people developing chronic pain after their surgery. So 
Dr. Alford, can you predict who will develop chronic pain? Is that possible? Well, certainly looking at the risk factors that we talked about, but as far as I know, there's no validated scale or predictive model. However, we do have a model for people who present with acute back pain and the risk of developing chronic pain. And it's called the START Back Screening Tool. And it has nine items where you ask the patient various questions. And based on the score, you can stratify patients into low, medium, and high risk for developing subsequent chronic pain. And what's interesting is if you look at the questions, the first questions are really around, you know, how severe is the pain and does it radiate and so forth. But the majority of the questions really focus on, is this patient catastrophizing about their pain? That is, are they worrying uh, a lot about their pain? Do they feel that it's not safe to be physically active? Do they feel like it's never going to get better? So that's a scale for predicting chronic back pain. So I want to remind listeners that to see these materials, visit the website scopeofpain.org. So Dr. Alford, let's go back to the case I mentioned earlier. We know that our patient was on opioids after her surgery, but she's ready to leave the hospital with home services and physical therapy. What would you say is the right amount of opioids to discharge this patient on? So that's an important question mainly because we know that we've been overprescribing in the acute pain setting or postoperative setting in particular. And we know that from a variety of studies that have looked retrospectively after people have had thoracic surgery, C-section, general surgery. And when they're followed up and asked, is your pain gone? Yes. How much of the opioid that was prescribed to you did you actually use? Turns out that more than 70% said they used less than half. So that ends up meaning that there's a lot of opioids left over in people's medicine cabinets. And we now know that this is a risk, and we'll talk more about that. But a lot of states are now legislating laws restricting opioid prescribing in the acute pain setting. And I think as a result, there's been a greater than 50% decrease in new prescriptions for more than three days after an acute pain episode. So what does that mean about all of these opioids that are in people's medicine cabinets? Well, from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, we know that they don't generally stay in that medicine cabinet. From that survey, where they ask individuals who say, yeah, I misused a prescription opioid in the past year, well, where'd you get it? It turns out that over half say they got it from a relative or from a friend. Either it was given to them or sold to them. And so... That's a big deal, and we need to make sure our patients dispose of excess opioids or lock them up so people can't access them. So here's a key question. Should opioids always be prescribed after surgery? So the answer is no, at least for minor surgeries. We know from a review that looked at over 450 studies that were high quality involving more than 50,000 patients mostly who had had dental extractions, it turns out that when you look at single medications, that ibuprofen and acetaminophen work just as well, if not better, than opioids. But really, the best pain relief is when you combine these medications. So we know that ibuprofen and acetaminophen work best compared to ibuprofen and, say, an opioid. So really, we should be combining non-opioids in the acute pain setting. Now, again, this is in minor surgical procedure. Someone who has major surgery or has major trauma, yes, opioids are absolutely indicated. But for minor surgical procedures, the answer is no. 
Okay, so in summary, a combination of medications, and if you're prescribing opioids, it should be in short duration. Absolutely, and and that's completely consistent with national guidelines, including the CDC guideline, where there was one recommendation out of 12 dealing with acute pain. They focused on short duration. Okay, so that's post-operative pain, but acute pain happens in the emergency room as well. Is that the same? Yeah, so you're right. Acute pain is a common presentation for the emergency room, and we know that people were getting opioids even when guidelines didn't recommend them. For instance, a sprained ankle. It was never recommended to treat a sprained ankle with opioids, but we know that 12 to 25% of emergency room visits for that problem, sprained ankle, got an opioid. There was a study recently that looked at patients presenting with extremity pain, acute extremity pain, and looking at opioids versus non-opioids. And what they found was that non-opioids were as good as opioids for managing acute musculoskeletal pain. It probably has a lot to do with, you know, acute pain probably is a lot of inflammatory related issues causing their pain. And so certainly using a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory can address that. Okay, so if we have one of those patients, someone who stays on opioids after an acute pain episode or surgery, how would you begin to taper them off of opioids? This is one of the most frequent questions I get asked, and I'll say that there's no validated protocol on how to do it. In fact, there was a systematic review that found very low quality evidence, suggesting actually that several types of tapering strategies can be effective. And that actually some patients, after a taper, their pain and function and quality of life can improve. The CDC guideline does recommend a decrease of 10% of the opioid per month if the patient has been on opioids for years. But you can go much quicker if the person's been on it for weeks to months, and they recommend 10% per week as opposed to per month. Are there any studies looking at the tapering of opioids in patients? Yeah, so there was a study recently published in a pain clinic setting where they found that 62%, so almost two-thirds, of patients who voluntarily agreed to be tapered over a four-month period successfully got down to half their opioid dose. And the likelihood of getting to half your opioid dose was not predicted by the starting dose, the baseline pain intensity, the years that someone was on opioids, or any psychosocial variable. But that's good news. So patients who are willing and able to be tapered from their opioid can likely get down to half their dose and do just fine. Dr. Alford, thanks so much for helping us think about opioids in the acute pain setting. You're welcome. In episode two, we'll present a case study. You'll meet Kathy James, who takes opioids for chronic pain and who is visiting a new PCP, requesting a prescription refill at her first visit. Scope of Pain was developed in collaboration with our national partners, the Council of Medical Specialty Societies and the Federation of State Medical Boards. This educational activity is supported by an independent educational grant from the Opioid Analgesic Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy, or REMS program companies. Production by Rococo Punch. To follow up on any of the material you heard today, please visit our website, scopeofpain.org, for visuals and other relevant materials. 
To receive credit, you'll need to listen to all six episodes, and then go to www.scopeofpain.org to complete a post-test and evaluation. I'm Jessica Alpert. Thanks for listening.